Welcome back, baseball fans, to another edition of On Deck, presented by Deep Dive Sports. We're in season two, and this is going to be episode five. Today, we're going to talk about Miguel Cabrera getting his 3,000 hit. Uh, where does he rank amongst the other in that 3,000 club? And is he a first ballot Hall of Famer? We're going to talk about some early as crap discussions, who's uh, leading the pack right now. But we'll see. We're also going to discuss some odd or maybe obscure rules about baseball, something that kind of like, I can't believe it's an actual, but we're going to discuss it. <laughs> and we're going to go into our standings, our baseball, uh, NCAA baseball update, and finish it off with our standard one fact about baseball. Today, I'm joined with Dominic and Jeff. So leading it off, we're going to talk about Miguel Cabrera, joined exclusive club of nearly 130 years in the making with a single and the first inning Saturday was it April 23rd, I believe. So mm -hmm. Miguel Cabrera became the 33rd major leaguer with the 3,000 hit. And that all began. Anson, 1890, was the first guy. Uh, the club has kind of gotten a little bit bigger over the course of the last few years. You had all Alex Rodriguez, and you had uh, Ichiro Suzuki in 2016. Beltre was in 2007. Uh, the guy that we just 2000. Well, what's crazy is that you think that, that you have a few guys that are always kind of in the eclipse this thing. Um, but between 1925 and 1970, with World War II interrupting many of the star careers, only Paul Warner and Stan Musial were the only players to join that of the 30 teams and games it joined. But in between that that period, up until 1969, the club only had eight members. And a half century later, that so since the 12 year wait between 58 to Hank Aaron and the longest gap between the three and seven years, uh, Rod Carew in 85 to Robin Yount and George Brett. So based on the Underwhelming group of candidates to reach the 3,000 hits. Post Cabrera gap might pretty be of a drought. So the only active players with more than 2,000 hits, but fewer than 3,000 hits, are Ronson Cano, who's 39, he's fading. You've got Yadier, who's retiring at the end of this year, and you've got Joey Votto, who's 38, still I think 960 hits short of 3,000. So that's going to be really tough for him to. Get. Uh, next on that active list is Nelson Cruz, who's 41 and not even 2,000 hit club yet. You got Elvis Andres, who is uh, kind of the worst hitter for the past half decade. Um, you got McCutcheon, Longoria. I mean, the best candidates to follow Cabrera to the 3,000 club are Jose Altuve, who's on 17, almost 1,800, and Freddie Freeman, a little over. Both are going strong, but they, uh, you know, they're at the start of their age 32 season. So at best, they have seven years ago to get into there. I mean, even Mike Trout, who's the best player in baseball right now, definitely shown a slow, um, mostly because of injuries. From 2012 to 2016, he averaged 178 hits per season. But from 2017 to 2021, he's only, that's not a lot. Really, Altuve and only a realistic chance of getting into this 3,000 club. And that's maybe at best a one in three chance. So <laughs> we probably have maybe more than 15 come close to joining this 3,000. I think it's hard to rank him right now because I'm looking at, at the list of, you know, the 3,000 hit club. And I mean, you see, like, even towards the bottom of the list, you see Ichiro, you see Cal or Craig Biggio, Tony Gwynn, you know, um, George Brett. Roberto Clemente is at the at the very bottom with exactly three thousand hits. Um, I mean, it's it's tough to rank. I think he'll climb up the list a little bit, but probably you know eighteen, nineteen, twenty range. Without a doubt, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. I mean, you look at the 
at, at his generation of players, and he's one of the best players in his generation. You know, he's got all the accolades um, that Jeff mentioned earlier. Uh, he's one of the best players that I've seen growing up. Now. So I think he's absolutely a first ballot Hall of Famer. That, that's for sure. That was more of a, of a, a, a question validity. But once we started, you know, getting to what what was in this, like, I mean, yeah. the, me to me, they, even just the fact that the last triple crown and over a decade, that alone, such a different. You know, I tell you what, I hated what, what as a, you know, Indian slash Guardians fan watching, you know, uh, Cabrera in his prime go against, you know, the Indian slash Guardians. It, it was rough. <laughs> you know, we, th- those were years where he was at the top of his game and we knew that we really didn't have a shot to win anything. <laughs> I mean, you just always knew he was going to, I mean, even the fact that yeah. like, you know, he was on the prep precipice 3000 with sitting at 2999, the Yankees walked him potentially just how you could have just pitched to him and, you know, hope for the best. And maybe, you know, that he would accomplish that greatness against you, but you know, they were just like, no, too hard. He's too hard of a bat. We're going to pitch around him. Yep. And you could totally say that for quite a few years, he was probably the best player in baseball next to pool holes um, and prior to trout. So that alone as well. No, absolutely. Who do you think is heading the pack right now? And then who do you think possibly could do so, Dom, I'm going to start with this. Who are your AL and NL candidates so far this year? Who do you think is going to be towards the end of the year? So, starting with the American League, I think right now you can – I think there's really th- five guys. Mike Trout, Shohei Otani, Jose Ramirez, Aaron Judge, and a fringe candidate for me right now is Wander Franco. Um, I think all of these guys, I don't really see them dropping off Trout being the most injury prone out of all of them is probably the most likely to, you know, maybe fall off a little bit. But if he stays healthy, I don't know how he's not at the top or near the top of the MVP race. But right now, I would probably give it to Jose Ramirez just because what he means to the Guardians. Like he is everything for that team. He's, you know, the guy that they need that they rely on for hits, home runs, RBI, everything about that offense is Jose Ramirez. So he goes, the Guardians go as far as Jose Ramirez can take them. So, you know, looking at most valuable, I think Jose Ramirez is definitely the most valuable to his team. Um, But we'll see if he can keep it up. I mean, he's had an amazing start to the season. I I wouldn't be surprised if Wander Franco just stays hot and, and wins it either. Moving on to the NL. I think it's it's really just Machado and Arenado at this time. I think you can make an argument for Austin Riley because he's had a pretty good start to the season. Um, he's already got 21 RBIs, you know, pretty crazy. Um, but at this point, I would probably give it to Arenado. You got Jose Ramirez for AL, and what about mm-hmm. you, Jeff? What are your picks? Uh, for the AL, I definitely like Jose Ramirez. Uh, exactly for the reasons you just talked about, what do you mean, team, admitting that he even took a pay cut with this new contract. But I think uh, definitely got to talk about the Bronx Bombers right now with Judge and Rizzo. Uh, they're just killing it right now. For the NL, uh, I agree with uh, Nolan Arenado. Yeah, definitely, definitely a value. Like, I, 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 he was on the top of my list. So, uh, you know, I, I had Trout definitely, you know, batting 344 as of one. Six home runs, 11 RBIs, fail pick. I definitely see where Jose Ramirez could be, but Judge, he keeps hot like he is. It, it just seems like him and Rizzo are just 
that's just as much as I don't like the Yankees to see those two have fun with the baseball and, and just having fun on it. Like you said, it's the most valuable player who's adding the most to the team. Um, you totally stole my NL pick, uh, Jeff, with uh, CJ Crone. Like I said, nine home runs, 21 RBIs, batting 282. I mean, obviously, it's not, you know, the Arenado's batting 368, but I definitely had Crone in the top of my league right now. But when it comes down to the odds makers in baseball in Vegas, they had Shohei Itani still at the top of the list of the possibility of an ALVP, followed by Mike Trout and Vladimir Guerrero. They have put in all their stock to Juan Soto of the National, Cunha Jr. and Harper. All right, moving on to our third topic. of, We're going to talk about some odd or maybe obscure rules in baseball. Think, think why is that a rule? And, uh, Jeff, I'm going to start with you. What is your odd or obscure rule in baseball? That- yeah, for mine, uh, I like to think of this as the Richie rule from bench warmers. Uh, if you've seen bench warmers, Richie goes up to catch for the first time and has a ball drilled into his mask. So this is rule 5.09G. Uh, this is runners advance one base if a pitch ball lodges in the umpire's or catcher's mask or paraphernalia. So I've never seen that. I couldn't find any evidence of it actually happening in a game, but it is in the rule. Um, the other rule that is attached to it is if it happens on the batter's third strike or fourth ball, then the batter is entitled to first as well as all runners. So I just like to think of that as the, the bench warmers rule. The, you're supposed to catch the ball with your glove, not your face. <laughs> yeah, we've definitely definitely seen that that movie and uh i know we were talking earlier off off camera about it, but it it's happened a couple times in the last like three or four years and one of them actually the ball fell behind the chest plate of the catcher so that was really funny how you know they they catch it with their glove it's an out but they catch it with anything else alive even though you right. can't get it out what are you going to do uh, mm-hmm. that's so. true all right moving on dom what do you have one rule that i found is that players can't catch the ball with anything but their gloves. Like they can't use their uniform to catch the ball. Like, you know, stick your head out, catch it. Um, Runners actually get three free bases if they use anything but their glove to catch the ball, because it's seen as like, um, like manipulating the baseball. So if, you know, you go for a slide and you stick your head out and catch it, you kind of screwing your team over. Three free bases. Yeah. No, I mean, I mean, we've all seen that in what was it, uh, Liga of Their Own, when she catches it with her hat in the end. But obviously, that that's not. I just didn't. I, you know, obviously, I, I knew that you, you weren't allowed to do that, but I didn't know that. Three yeah, there's, yeah, there's, yeah, that. there's actually a, a huge penalty. Yeah, I thought. Yeah. I mean, just like Jeff's rule, like you know, it was like at least one free base. You know, like you said, I mean, they, mm-hmm. basically to give them a triple for, or if they're on first, it's a, is that an RBI? Yeah, yeah. Like, who who gets scored that RBI? Then? <laughs> right. and, and it's funny because I think I looked something similar to that up. And even if the something like that happens, whoever's in the batter's box, even if they never hit the ball, it's still considered an RBI for them. Really? Yeah. So that's not my odd little thing about baseball. So my little thing is that, so say there's a runner on third and you've got a batter in the box and the runner on third tries to steal home there's two outs and he steals home but the ball from the pitcher hits him as he's stealing home considered it but if there are no outs or one out and he does the exact same thing and the ball hits him it's safe i just thought that that was so just because of of an out you've got you've got either a run scored or it makes no sense to have different rules for the same play just with a different situation like why 
I, that doesn't make any sense. No, no, yeah, you know, and obviously there there are tons of these out there. We might throw this into some episodes, you know, further on down the road because there's a tons of these rules that, like Jeff said, make no sense to what on in baseball. They are the rules. Them's the rules, as they say. Mm-hmm. All right, moving on to our standings rundown. So we're going to start with the American League East. You've got the New York Yankees just dominating at 18 and seven. They have a streak of nine and one. They're just streaks in baseball, you know, into the last one. Uh, Tampa Bay's 17 and 10 with eight and two. You've got the Blue Jays at 17 and 11. Uh, they've been playing some 500 ball lately. You've got Baltimore at 10 and 16. That's in their last 10. And the Red Sox are 10, three of seven. They lost uh, towards the end. I think they've had the most losses by just uh, so far this year. American League Central's got Minnesota at 17 and 11. They're seven and three in their last 10. The White Sox at 500 baseball, 13 and 13, but they are seven. You've got the Guardians at 12 and 15. They are five and five in their last 10. Then you've got the Royals at eight and 15 and seven in the Detroit is eight and eight with two and eight in their last 10. The West, you've got the lights out as well. You've got eight in their seven and three in their last. You've got Houston at 17 and 11. They're eight and two in their last. You got Seattle holding strong in the middle at 12 and 15, but they have gone on a little bit of a drought. They're one and nine. Texas at 10 and 14, some 500 ball in there. And you've got Oakland 10 and 17, struggling a little bit there. Moving on to the uh, National, the New York Mets at 18 and 9, 6 and 4 in their last 10. You've got the Marlins doing pretty strong at 12 and 14. They are 4 and 6 in their last 10. The Braves also 12 and 16, also 4 and 6. You've got the Phillips 12 and they're 5 and 5 in their last 10. And you've got the National, they're 3s and 7 in their last 10 to the National League Central. You've got the Brewers at 19 and 8. It's a little bit of a streak as well, 9 in their last 10. You've got the Cardinals at 16 and 10, 7 and You've got the Pirates, 10 and 53 and 7 in their last 10. You've got the Cubs at 2 and in their last 10. You've got the Cincinnati Reds at the very bottom at 4 and 2. They are 1 and 9 in their last 10. You've got the Dodgers on the American, the National League uh, West, 17 and 7. So 7 and 3 in their last 10. You've got the Padres at 18 and 9. They're 8 and 2 in their last 10. The Rockies at 5, or I'm sorry, at 15 and 11. Five and five in their last Giants, who we thought were going to they came out strong. They're 14 and 12 in three and seven in their last 10. Diamondbacks at 10. What I found really interesting is that you've got New York and both of their teams in the park. So, what are you guys' opinions standing so far? Any surprises? Who's hot? Who's not? I got to shout out the uh, NL West, where every team is playing over 500 ball. I think that's pretty impressive, even with Arizona hanging in there. Uh, like you said, the New York and LA teams leading the pack. Uh, like we talked about last week with the Mets, uh, they just had that incredible comeback game against the Phillies where it doesn't matter how much they're down. They're fighting and they're picking up these wins. So I think those New York teams are impressive. The L.A. teams are impressive. And then pretty much every team in the NL West. Yeah. yeah. What about you, Dom? I think there's quite a few surprises. I mean, you look at the AL Central. I never thought that the Twins would be leading this division at any point in the season, let alone, you know, this far into the season. I thought the White Sox were going to run away with it. Um, And I think the Phillies have been pretty disappointing with all the star power that they have on that team. I definitely thought that they would have been better than 11 and 15 that they sit at currently. But I'm really happy to see that the Pirates, you know, they're a little bit better than we thought. I mean, 
going into the season, everyone thought that they were going to be, you know, pretty much what the Reds are. And, you know, they're hanging in there at 10 and 15, um, struggling a little bit as of late, but they're definitely playing better ball than I thought that they would. Definitely. So, so speaking of, and Jeff is our current aficionado, what, what do you take of this, this possibility that they could possibly have the worst record in baseball that we've I think it's I can't say it's too much of a surprise uh the fans are upset the ownership shows no incentive of changing I mean when you're this far into the season and you only just picked up your fourth win something's got to give uh you've got the injuries that aren't helping uh you know your rookie of the year Jonathan yeah he's out uh Joey Votto's been out uh Tyler Naquin's been off and on at the IL and same with Nixon Zell. So some of these games, you're looking at the lineup, and there's only two players that were even in a Reds uniform last year. So it's pretty much a minor league team for most of these games, and it's just man, it's hard to watch. I read had them. If if the trends follow as and, yep. and if I was correct, you you mentioned that 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 wasn't like that hasn't happened. Since. Yep, it's been a long long time. So I mean, you took this one great franchise and. Now you're giving us the records for the wrong reasons. <laughs> yeah. So I got a question for our resident Reds fan. So mm-hmm. this this is a team last year that finished 83 and 79, not far out of the wild card positions. Why why would ownership decide to do a rebuild and not try to build on what they had built? Because they were a, a team that was bad. They you know developed a team, and they were looking pretty good, and then they just sold everyone. Like, that that doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, no, I mean, I to this day, it doesn't make any sense to me either. Uh, they came out saying, well, we need to realign our payroll to our entry. It's like, oh, okay, so you don't care about the fans. You don't care. You just want to keep as little salary to these players as possible. So you're going to ditch all these guys. Uh, Nick Castellanos in a recent interview just admitted that he would have loved to stay in Cincinnati. He wanted to stay in Cincinnati. They never even gave him a call. Wow. Yeah, so when you're treating guys like that, last year was the most exciting year of Reds baseball, and I don't know how long. Uh, a lot of hope, yeah, and it, like you said, we're only just a few key pieces away from, I think, building a postseason contending team. Uh, but it's tough when they turn around and they sell half the team. You know, you got Lorenzen to the Angels, uh, Winker and Suarez on the bundle to Seattle, Castellanos is now with the Phillies, Tucker Barnhart's with Detroit. I mean, Wade Miley's with the Cubs. You, I mean, they, it's it's astounding how many players they just let either walk or sold away. Uh, to the fans, it's super disheartening, and a lot of people are refusing to pay to go to these games, saying we're we're done with you guys if this is what the product you're going to put out on the field. So I, I, then I have a follow up question to that as well. Why do you think Joey Votto hangs on as long? Why do you think he does for a trade? Any of that? Why he stayed with that? You know, that's a good question. I know prior to last year, especially uh, before he had the super explosive uh, season he had, I always said, trade him to a contender. This guy deserves to go to the postseason and contend for World Series. But, I mean, it just speaks to his character, I think, his loyalty, uh, you know, to the team that's taken him for so long. Uh, I think he's definitely a big role model to a lot of these uh, younger guys in Cincinnati, especially you could see it last year with uh, Tyler Stevenson, and Jonathan India. You would see them on the bench together talking over and him giving his points of view. So I think it just speaks to his character more than anything, kind of like Miguel Cabrera, you know, 
staying with the Tigers for all these years out of loyalty, even though they've not always been the best team. And then that shows with India getting the rookie of the year last year. Mm-hmm. That matchroom presence is important. And at least, you know, the managers and all that think that, and, you know, maybe the ownership will get their heads out of their butts eventually. Right. Yep. I'm with you. All right, moving on to our NCAA Division One men's baseball. We've got the standing uh, 40 and 4 their NCAA tournament. A little over that bracket coming to Tennessee, definitely. Uh, Oregon State is at 34 and 9. They stay second. You've got Oklahoma State popping up to the third spot, the 31 and 13 record. They were, you've got Arkansas with the 34 and 10 record. They were fifth. You've got Virginia Tech at a 10 record. They were seventh. Miami dropped a little bit from to six, a 32 and 12 record. And you've got Southern Miss four to seven with a 34 10 record. You've got UCLA coming to the top 10 with a 30 record. Texas Tech has stayed the same, 31 a lot. 10 spot with a 31 record. So again, look forward to that bracket coming to your future in the next or so. Watch if you haven't. Noticed that they've been a lot of college affiliated teams before when the lockout was possibly going to happen. You know, ESPN and networks decided for college baseball you know, ended. They had baseball to play, but they kind of stuck to their promise and gave a platform broadcast that they had before. I'll start with Don. What is your fact about it? this? May be pretty common knowledge, but this is something that I didn't know. A big topic around baseball right now is you know the length of the games, right? People say that the games are too long and the games are slow and all that. Well, if you're like me, I don't care about that. The longer the game, the better. Well, did you know that the longest MLB MLB game in recorded history was eight hours and six minutes between the Chicago White Sox and the Milwaukee Brewers in May 1984? Can you imagine sitting there for a whole work day and watching one game of baseball? Please tell me it was a day game. Right. It does not say the time of the day. But they played 25 innings over the course of two days. No, so two it, was days, a night, okay. it was a night game that they just were like, all right, this is taking too long. We'll, we'll pick this back up in the morning and finish the game. There are fans that are still sitting there at 3 or 4 a.m. if that's the case. <laughs> right? I wonder at what time do they call it? And you like, because I know that, I mean, some playoff games we've seen go to, to one, you know, one something in the morning. So I wonder if there's, is there rules says that they have to call it after like by 3, 3 a.m. I got to get yeah. up in the morning. Well, a lot of those uh, playoff games, you know, they're not starting till like 7, 38 or even later, especially if, on, if they're on the West Coast. You know, the, this is a regular, regular season game in, you know, the 80s. It's probably starting, you know, six seven o'clock yeah. so that eight hours that's that's some dedication How, <laughs> what the what the players got you know i went i went 15 for 22 or something right those poor bullpens <laughs> all right jeff what do you got what's your one fact about baseball all right so i cheated a little bit mine's a little more pop culture type question but it doesn't involve baseball so this is something i didn't know maybe you guys know uh uh, what TV show led to an overturned murder conviction because they were actually recording an episode at a Dodgers? I have no idea. What is it? It's uh, the show Curb Your Enthusiasm. And so in 2003, there was this uh, 16-year-old girl that was shot to death on her doorstep. And the only eyewitness ran in fear for their life, dropped their cell phone. Uh, so some time passed. The police were able to find the owner of the cell phone. The eyewitness described uh, this man uh, that matched uh, 
his name was Juan Catalan. They arrested him. They interrogated him. Uh, this was weeks afterwards. And he said, you know, I've got nothing to do with it. But he couldn't remember his whereabouts that night. He had no alibi. So they kept him. They kept him in custody. So I think it was a few months went by. And eventually his girlfriend found ticket stubs from that night. Oh, you went to the Dodgers game that night. They said, well, the ticket stubs don't mean anything. You know, anyone could have gone. There's no proof that it was his. And he said, hang on. I remember when we walked in the building, there was a recording group outside. They were recording a TV show. I don't know who it was. So his lawyer did some digging, uh, actually found that it was Curb Your Enthusiasm. And they were able to call HBO and get all the photos and all the videos including the time markers from that night. And they were actually able to find a clear shot of him passing Larry David in the aisle to go to the bathroom. So <laughs> the only way he got hit out of that, they ever turned it was because they were recording at a Dodgers game. That's the odds of that happening are astronomical. Oh, I know. Right. I mean, I couldn't believe it. And to think like what could have happened to this guy, he could be on death row. Thanks to the Dodgers uh, letting the TV show be filmed there. He had not go to the crime. He did. Right. So my little fact of trivia, baseball is not quite as uh, substantial as that. But so what player holds the record for the most teams played for in the ML? Man, I'm trying to think. I know there and, was a player who had and how many teams? four postseason teams that he played for. I cannot remember who it was. There, there's a lot of guys that have been hanging around being journeymen for the past, you know, eight years of their career. I can't think of any of their names. I have no idea. All right, so in 2019, pitcher Edwin Jackson being the first player in history to play for 14 different MLB teams, a feat accomplished within his first 17 of his still active career. This could actually get a little bit higher if he's defending. Uh, the previous record was held by Octavio Dotel, uh, also a pitcher. Dotel played for 13 teams during his 15-year MLB career. So one player, pretty crazy. Yeah, that's super insane. I'd be like trying to go to every other team that you could kind of like yeah, when just, uh, Will Ferrell did the spring training jump into each team just to say <laughs> he's played for him. yeah yeah just, and I wonder if he's got all those jerseys hung on as well well that does it for this edition of On Deck presented by Deep Dive Sports thanks Dom and Jeff for joining me today make sure you look to download us all anyway you can get your podcast on like Amazon through Spotify and this is Deep Dive Sports we are out Baseball is America's pastime. We hope that you enjoyed this episode of On Deck as much as we have. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at deep.dive.sports. Or download us through Amazon, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. As always, we are On Deck, presented by Deep Dive Sports. Until next time.